right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. We don't got time for that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We're pumped up today. I don't know why. It's Tuesday. I was but... just reenacting what our intro does. <laughs> ah! uh, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Uh, we're brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery on another wonderful edition of RCST. Uh, so we got a lot of KU football to talk about today. Some nice light bulb stuff. Trace Lotta of the Kansas City Stars is going to join us at 3.30 to uh, talk the Arteria Morris stuff, KU football. Kevin Flaherty going to join us at 4.40 to talk Big 12 in KU football. We got our NFL Week 2 recap. We got a Big 12 breakdown. We got some Lance Leipold audio. Uh, exciting show once again here on RCST. Before if, we get in... Oh, good. What Do you feel like if we just screamed for like... 20 minutes, that's good content? Uh, no, I, I think that's the opposite. I think that is very much bad content. <laughs> How long do you think it would take before, like, like our 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 most diehard listener, if whoever you are out there, thank you to you, if you were yes, the most diehard, so how listeners. long of us screaming would it take before you switch the channel? Would it be 30 seconds, a minute? How long would you give us? That's the real question. No. Well, but, how long would you be able to do it before you'd have to breathe again? That's my question. I mean, we could alternate. That's why we have two people. Oh, okay, right? okay, 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 okay. So we're going to get into our KU notebook, as we typically do here on a Tuesday, kind of rehashing what happened in the game and going a little deeper from uh, Monday's top stuff. Before we get into that, though, uh, Bruce Feldman of The Athletic released a short list of candidates to watch for the Michigan State head coach opening after Mel Tucker was officially fired yeah. by the Spartans. Yeah. If and you missed guess it- who's on the list? <laughs> Lance Leipold. That's right. And... Chris Another Kleiman? coach from Kansas. Chris Kleiman? Yes. Yeah. Chris Kleiman. Not from Kansas University, from the right. state of Kansas. Uh, also on there was Mike Elko, which is interesting because Mike Elko was one of the other finalists for the KU job when they decided to hire Lance Leipold. Nonetheless, yeah. uh, a little scary there. Yeah, I so mean, now we circle back to last year yes. of the Wisconsin stuff, the Nebraska stuff, except now, now as Kansas continues to get better and better and project to be better and better, you figure that's going to happen more and more often and be more prevalent. Yeah. It will, and that's always going to be a thing if you're Kansas, that if you're having success, your coach will be at, at risk of being poached. You would ideally like to yeah. build yourself up to it's a just point. because KU's not to the point where right. they are an established, real, premier program, so it's more of a stepping stone. It can be viewed as more of a stepping stone yes. for coaches now ideally could you get to a point where you can become uh, an Oklahoma State if you have continued success this would take a lot more years of success but you get what I'm saying where you have a Mike Gundy for 20 years yeah of course something like that could happen but for the most part this is what it's going to be like with Kansas football which um, in the short term I guess there's a couple things looking here first uh, what is the credibility of the I, I don't mean the credibility of Bruce Feldman he's a very credible guy what is the credibility of is this just a situation where Lance Leipold is on a list because he's a good coach at a good school, and so why would they not kick the tires on him? Or is this something where you would actually be fearful he would take the job? I think uh, I've seen a lot of people bring this up, and I think it's a very good point. It's a very valid point. If he didn't 
take the Wisconsin and Nebraska jobs, which were more in line with dream jobs, even though Michigan State is another Big Ten job, why would he take this one? I, I would agree with that in theory. We don't actually know, and I don't know that we'll ever know because this is not something that coaches release publicly, yeah. whether Lance Leipold has actually offered either of those jobs, though, or if they, he was just being interviewed for them. Because exactly. who's to say that Wisconsin didn't hire Luke Fickle instead of hiring Lance Leipold, and if Luke Fickle would have said no, that maybe they would have got Lance Leipold. Or if, or if Matt Rule didn't say yes to Nebraska, maybe they would have settled on Lance Leipold. Or maybe Lance Leipold said no to both. We don't know. We don't yeah. know. So it's hard for me to take that argument and be like, well, he didn't leave for those. Why would he leave for these? Because for all we know, he would have left. Right? Yes. Yeah. You know. I mean, you don't know for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think obviously, in this case, anytime, as long as Lance Leipold remains at Kansas, anytime you get a an established Big Ten school that has a job opening, Lance Leipold's probably going to be yep. on that list because that's where he has a lot of connections to. Obviously, with the Wisconsin stuff, you know, with with Wisconsin Whitewater, and then obviously with being Wisconsin, like he has those types of connections. So your Michigan States of the world, you know, your your Wisconsin's, your Nebraska's, some of those other Big Ten programs, you know, even like, a, I don't know, I mean, even like in Illinois or something like that. Sure. Right? Like, I don't know. I mean, I don't, how, you know, that's, that, that, well, I think I mean, that's Michigan always going to be a specifically, though, like, they've had a lot of really good years. Oh, yeah. And they, they are consistent. They've, they've been a consistent top 20, top 25 program. You'd be making more money. But also, I, I don't think Lance Leipold cares as much about how much he's making. I mean, this was indicative when he signed the contract extension last year. Yeah. He more so cares about the the money that's going to be available to be poured into NIL, yeah. resources, assistant facilities, coaches. assistant coaches, those yeah. sort of things. Yeah, and, and those I'll, would be higher I, I did State. see some people with the argument of like, well, Michigan State has all these resources that they could put into football. And I really started to think about it. And how many programs in the last two to three years have dedicated more of their athletic department to football than Kansas. Probably not a very long list when you really think about it. I mean, think about what Kansas has done since Travis Goff and Lance Leipold have gotten here. They've renovated locker rooms. They have announced the most aggressive, most expansive project in the history of the University of Kansas centered on a brand-new football stadium, right? Mm -hmm. They have done all these things to, to devote time and energy and money to the football program there's probably not a lot of schools around the country that can say that they've done as much, like proportionally, proportionally speaking. Like obviously, I'm sure like your, you know, your Alabama's, your Ohio State's, they're they are devoting maybe more money financially to it. But just go beyond that. Think about the time and energy that's been devoted to KU football mm -hmm. by Travis Goff, by the Kansas yeah. State Department. No, it's, the last it's two been an years. unbelievable I mean, it's, effort. It's been, like I said, I think you'd be hard pressed to find very many more schools that have allocated so much of their internal resources to football. Oh, of course it has. At the same point in time, KU's building a new stadium. Michigan State, I don't know how old their stadium is, but they hold 75,000. That's double the amount of Kansas. <laughs> like, I don't know. NIL no, is I know. an interesting and conversation. They probably you know, have more chance for that at Michigan your, State for football. Your football fan base, your football alumni base, mm -hmm. is probably much more, is probably much more, is A, much larger, and B, more willing to give, I think, probably at a place like Michigan State than Kansas maybe, but... I don't yeah. Know. So I'll be honest. Like, yes, this is worrisome for me. This would be worrisome if if you're worried about Lance Leipold sticking around at Kansas, and especially when you add to it of Kansas has developed a little bit of a pipeline in the Michigan area. So a, I mean, that would further the idea that he'd probably do well there. But here's some guys you have on the roster who are from Michigan: Cornell Wheeler, um, Andrew what Russell isn't originally from Michigan, but he transferred from Michigan, like the university. Uh, Logan Brown is from Grand Rapids, Michigan. James Livingston's from Dexter, Michigan. And then you have a bunch of guys from Detroit. Marvin Grant, Kalen Gervin, 
Jameel Croft and Rich Miller. Those are either impactful players or you would think future impactful players with a guy like Jameel Croft. Then you look at this upcoming recruiting class in 2024, Isaiah Marshall, your you know highly rated quarterback that you think is going to be the, the next answer after you lose Jalen Daniels, and then Jalen Todd, who's your really highly rated uh, corner recruit. Hypothetically, if Lance Leipold you know, were to leave for, for Michigan State, Obviously, any time a coach leaves in this day and age of college football, a lot of players transfer. That would be no different. But the amount that you would lose of that Detroit pipeline from really good players would make it even worse for him to leave for Michigan State. Um, and if this thing does end up happening, I mean, because here's the thing. For Lance Leipold to end up at Michigan State, it has to be a couple things happen. One, he has to be willing to take the job. Two, Michigan State has to decide he's number one candidate, right? Yeah. He could be the number three candidate, and if number one or number two accepts, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. Would he say yes? Would he say no? I don't know. These are questions that he has to answer, but I'll say this. Uh, I believe Lance Leipold's agent is the same agent as like Bruce Feldman, Feldman Feldman's agent. And so you would think they would have good communication that if he is on this list, typically when you see coaches appear on shortlists or coaches being rumored that, oh, they could be interested in the other job, there's two reasons. One, they're interested in the other job. Yeah. Or two, their, their agent, agent is trying is, to get it out there yeah. so that they get a pay raise from their current school. Yeah. And that's very much possible. But also Lance Leipold just got a pay raise last year. So doesn't that tell you that that probably wouldn't be the scenario? Which means he probably does have some interest in the job. Now, is it enough interest that he would take it? Again, who totally knows and who knows if it'll be offered. It's still less than a 50-50 proposition, obviously. Still are the chances that Lance Leipold will be, will be with Kansas next season, but it is a little bit scary. My concern level is pretty low right now just because of the fact that Mel Tucker was fired yesterday or, or Monday, literally like within the last two days, okay? So this is going to be probably a long process, and this is something that probably you don't need to be too concerned about until later in the season or even after the season. So... Me personally, I'm just going to choose to not be that worried about it right now because you're in the middle of a season. You're in the middle of looking to potentially contend for a Big 12 title if you're Kansas at this point. I mean, with how things are shaking out, with how the rest of the Big 12 is looking, you have a real legit chance to maybe be even better than six, seven wins. Now we're talking legitimately eight, nine wins, and then you're in that conversation for Big 12 title. So I'm not, my concern level is very, very low about this just because Mel Tucker was fired literally two days ago or you know, within the last 48 hours. And so I'm just not going to devote too much time to being worried about this right now because Kansas is in the midst of potentially looking at having one of their best seasons since 2008. Yes. So focus on that. Enjoy what you got. And we'll cross that bridge if it needs to come up or if there's uh, more stuff that comes out of this. All right. Our KU notebook. We don't have as much time for this. We got to get Trace Lada in uh, about 15 minutes. Uh, let's start with the offense. Um, you want to start positive or negative? Positive. Positive. Power Devin positive. Neal for Heisman. Come on. Devin Neal for Heisman. Devin Neal's looking pretty good. He's and on he's, pace for like 1,700 yards. And he's looking like the bell cow guy that we think he might be. And and I think even more so, I don't know if you noticed this, but it seemed like he might have been even playing through something in the game. He wasn't maybe fully 100%, and he still got 17 carries for almost 100 yards and was very impactful. So, uh, yeah, Devin Neal is very, very good, just as we suspected. And uh, he's going to probably continue to be a focal point of this you know offense crazy, as though? long as he's healthy. He has 40 carries right now. That would put him on pace this year for 160. He had 180 last year. Wow. Because I agree with you. It feels like he's touched the ball more. Now, he he yeah. does have more catches. or yeah. he, he's on, he has eight catches, which seems like they're getting involved more in the passing game. That would put him on pace for 32. Last year, he had 21. So, you did make up some of those there. But, yeah, man. And, uh, very I mean, interesting. Listen, 
when he's one of your best players, you get him the ball. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that I love the most about Andy Kolnicki is I don't think Andy Kolnicki tries to overcomplicate things. When you have good players, give your good players the ball. Mm-hmm. Period. You know what's interesting? I It felt like a, a kind of meh offensive performance. You still put up 31 points. You averaged 11 yards per pass. You had well over 400 yards. Um, I didn't realize this. I, I was looking at some advanced numbers. KU was 99th percentile in success rate during week three, and they were 95th percentile in EPA per play last week. So it's kind of weird they only ended up with 31 points. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. I guess that's what a fumble will do for you and uh, what having the ball run out of the the first half of clock will kind of do for you. I I do have one theory, though, uh, to the negative side of this. My theory is that the best defenses to defend KU are the multiple defenses, where... Typically, you have defenses where usually when you hear the word multiple, it means they're going to like they have maybe a three or four man front. Yeah, different maybe they only play a couple linebackers. Scrimmage. Yeah, yeah, guys moving around a lot, moving fronts, a yeah. lot of DBs on the field, a lot of speed on the field. Maybe not as much power. Uh, like Illinois, I think of more of a power defense. Not as or much of a Illinois defense, is definitely right? a defense that they defense. will going to line. Yeah, they're going to line up the same way. I think Andy Kulnicki talked about this yes. actually before the game was. You know, they they are going to line up. The same way, in the same gaps, mm-hmm. every play. I think that makes it tough to defend KU because they're complex. They run a bunch of motions, and also they're a very fast offense. Yeah. With the multiple defenses, maybe you're a little better suited to defend the— Maybe this is—I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm reading too much into this because, again, I just mentioned some of those numbers that they were pretty successful last week. But, like, I think to who are the multiple defenses that you play on your schedule? Iowa State. That's clearly one of them. That's one of the yeah. things talked about. Well, that was your, like, worst offensive performance last year. Uh, Nevada is a multiple defense. Illinois is not a multiple defense. You had a lot of success against them. Now, Oklahoma is a multiple defense, and you had a lot of success against them, but they were just a bad defense last year. <laughs> this year, they've been a good defense, so we'll see what that kind of looks like this year. I yeah. don't know. Uh, I don't know. Just just something worth monitoring. Uh, and uh, the last thing here with the offense, stop fumbling. Yeah, man. Stop fumbling. Hang on to the ball. Whatever you need to do. Uh, li- listen. I- okay. Normally, like Andy Reid does this a lot with the Chiefs, where – if a guy has issues with something, like Kadarius Tony dropping cat passes or somebody fumbling, something like that, Andy Reid is a type of coach that is not afraid to go right back to that player to show faith and confidence in them. And I generally am of the opinion of that's that's a pretty good strategy. That's a pretty good approach. You want to maintain a player's confidence. But in some cases, like with a guy like Daniel Hyshaw, who has now literally fumbled at least once in like every game that he's played in the last like nine games, basically, going back to last season. You got you to send a message. You got to do something. I don't know what. I don't know. You know, I'm just spitballing here. But, like, you can't fumble every single game. I, you just I mean, can't you let can. that happen. <laughs> no, you can't. You physically can. You can, but no, you can't let that happen. Yeah, Andy so I don't, know what, I don't know what needs to change there. Andy Kotelnicki talked about that at uh, Media Veil today, and he said they're very much emphasizing it this week in practice. So uh, you would hope that gets fixed. Okay, uh, defensive side of the ball. Overall, not a great game. You have 24 points. You didn't get a ton of pass rush late, but I don't think it was like, I think it was far from a bad game. You, you give up 24 points, probably a little more than you would have liked. But then again, you only gave up 260 yards. It could have been a lot less if you would have had like any semblance of fumble luck. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I if you recover two of those five fumbles, yeah, it changes everything. Even just one of them, you hold them to 17, you know? Yeah. Um, 
Now, I, one thing I found very interesting from the defense, they played a ton of guys. I don't know if this was from a fatigue thing, dealing with the altitude. They normally do play a good amount of guys. Yep. They had 25 guys uh, play in the game. But specifically, though, I think it was 22 players for KU played double-digit snaps. So you had a lot of guys playing a lot of numbers. And, and we heard from Brian Borland today that you know Hayden Hatcher was dealing with some injury stuff and um, obviously, Austin Booker was out for the first half. Kobe Bryant was out for the first half. But they played a lot of guys, and I, I thought you got pretty good returns from a lot of them. Like, Cornell Wheeler was solid. You, you got, got to see Dean Miller a little bit in there. Like, I don't know. Uh, you got to see a lot of the depth of the defense. Yeah, and one thing about that I noticed was the impact of not having Kobe Bryant and Austin Booker, it didn't really – I don't really feel like it really affected the defense as much as maybe I thought going into the game. Like, they handled the absence of those two guys pretty well, I think, for the most part. Uh, which was nice to see, partly because they did have you know the depth of, of bringing in some different players, and you know you look in the secondary, and Quentin Lasseter has obviously had a great start to the season, so that's a guy you probably have a little bit more confidence in than maybe you did previously. Uh, so that was really really good to see, and and yeah, I the more I think about it, the more I do kind of agree with you a little bit is that and that this was not a a great defensive game, but it wasn't a horrible defensive game right. either, right? The, like the biggest issue with the defense again was. Uh, the Nevada quarterback, Lewis, again, had some plays where he was able to scramble around and, and create a lot of yards with his feet. But like we've highlighted, KU does not have very many true scrambling quarterbacks left on their schedule that can really hurt them a lot with their legs. Did you see One uh, of the uh, funnest stats that yeah. I sent to you last night, which is KU's upcoming opponent, uh, upcoming opponent BYU, starting quarterback Keaton Slovis has negative 220 career rushing yards. Yep. Negative 220. I think he's at negative two this year. Obviously, sacks, you, you lose yeah, that. Yeah, sacks count against your rushing yards in college. But the point being that this dude is not a scrambler. You know what's weird, though? He has three rushing touchdowns this year. He has, <laughs> he has more rushing touchdowns this year than he has yards. <laughs> That's wild. He never had a rushing touchdown what before I, this year. You know, but what I've never understood, why don't we just make sack yardage like a whole its own separate stack? Well, in the NFL, it just counts against your team pass yards. Which, that's also dumb. I think that makes sense. You were passing the ball. <laughs> but why I can't that we just make it sense. its own thing? I agree. Just be done with I, it. I don't know why it counts against the quarterback. It's stupid. But yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that, but anyways, that is something but of interest. The point, that basically, that just highlights the point that Keaton Slovis is not a guy that's yes. going to scramble a lot or hurt you with his legs. And so, even though that has been a bit of an issue for KU early in the season... They're not going to play very many more guys that I think can really, really exploit that badly going forward. Mm -hmm. Now, I thought Kenny Logan and J.B. Brown, I thought both of them played excellent games. I don't know yeah. if I'd call it J.B. Brown's best game because the <laughs> Illinois game was really good, too. I, th that yeah. one was right up there. Both of them were great games. Yeah. Kenny Logan, I think that was his best game of the season so far. Yeah. The other thing is penalties. Mm -hmm. That was kind of something that became an issue in some certain situations, again, for KU, and that's something you don't want to see continue either. Correct. The penalties, the because that's what basically lost Arkansas the game to BYU. If you look at the stats, Arkansas, I think, had like 400 and something yards of offense. BYU had like 280. Well, if you want to go back to that stupid net success rate graph or whatever that was going around, that said that Arkansas should yeah. have won. Yeah. No, Arkansas out-yarded them by a good amount. Um, both teams struggled on third down. But the big difference was Arkansas had like 100 and I think it was like 120 yards of penalties, which is even that's like double what KU had, and we're saying it was a sloppy game. So you're going to be playing a disciplined, physical BYU football team. You have to be sharper there in that area uh, to win this game. I also think you need to be better about the uh, time management stuff that happened at the end of the first half. But I feel like that's something that 
I almost sometimes when I complain about the time management and the fourth down decisions, I do feel like I'm screaming into the void because I feel like that's almost like every football coach and it just never changes. Yeah. Well, I think it's one of those things where every coach, even the ones that are aggressive, they still find ways to make the wrong decision. Yeah. In, in they need to play situations. more Madden. They need to play more NCAA football. I think that's why all of the no, no, no. normal people. No, 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 no. Because I play NCAA football 14 and I just go for every fourth down. It doesn't matter. No, Fourth and ten of my own thirty. With the I'm going outs, you know. Well, okay, no, but that's not, no. You can't do that either because, dude, NCAA football fourteen, the you the clock is shortened, so it's not the same. I know, but uh, I don't know, man. It's just that's why people know when to call time out. I think I don't know, whatever. <laughs> All right, uh, we're gonna take a timeout. Trace Lotta of the Kansas City Star gonna join us on the other side. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, about half past the hour here on RCST with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on KLWN, joined now by Shreyas Lada of the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com. Uh, we'll get to a little KU football here to finish up, but first off, uh, really good work by Shreyas in the Kansas City Star, just writing a very detailed piece uh, about the Arterio Morris rape allegation and his suspension from the KU basketball team. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll leave you with a bit of an open floor here, Shreyas. Is, is there anything that, that you want to emphasize in the story or want to make sure comes across as, uh, you know, obviously I, I hope people do more than, than just read the headline? Um, the two guys that are listed as witnesses and the one listed as others, they're not remotely involved in investigations. They're not remotely around it. They were just interviewed after the fact was what I was told. Um, so those guys are not even, like, being, you know, they have nothing going on with this investigation. Uh, another thing is he has not been charged yet. Uh, the DA has the case files and they're looking into it, but he's not officially been charged yet. It's just an allegation at this moment. Um, but those are really the two big things. I think the rest of the story is, is worth reading and then just kind of going to, from there. Is there any clue about how or when this whole thing will be resolved or is that just a complete unknown? I think it's a little bit of unknown. And I mean, with all the reporting we're doing and, and just kind of all that, I don't want to divulge too much into that. I think right now uh, we just have to wait for the process to play out with the legal system. And again, this this might kind of be the same answer there, so uh, apologies. But uh, is there any indication of what, what's next in the process? Uh, I, I think right now it's just whether the DA is like what the DA thinks to do, you know, whether they're going to press charges because they had it as of Friday night, but they got in the case. Uh, or not, and I'm sure the investigation will take some time, uh, just because like things like this take time because there's so many cases the DA gets um, and the police get. So I think the big thing is just keeping an eye out on what happens with the DA and what they think about everything. Well, let's just say hypothetically this thing carries over into the start of basketball season because we, we know legal cases can you know take some time. Uh, I guess it could bleed over into what, at that point like November or something like that. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. I I don't know. Maybe maybe this is too much speculation, but like, do you think Artario Morris would be on the sideline for KU? Or I, I guess I don't I don't totally understand. Do you have a, a good idea of what what is suspended from the basketball team? Does that just mean you can't play? Does that mean you can't uh, practice? Does that just mean you're away from the team altogether? Do you, do you have any idea of what exactly that means? So I don't want to come out and, you know, make a speculation. But at least we saw, you know, you see all the pictures from uh, boot camp and stuff like that. Arterio was not there. So from there, I presume it just means that he's not around the team at the moment. Uh, 
but I don't want to kind of speculate if he's going to be on the sideline or anything like that. Like, there's just so many unknowns, and just because this is an ongoing case and the reporting and everything is still ongoing, I, I sorry guys, I just don't want to go super into it. Yeah, no, that's that's totally fine. But please read the article yourself, KansasCity.com, and in the Kansas City Star to uh, see all the the information and whatnot from the Ontario Moore stuff. Uh, switching over to some KU football stuff with you here. Uh, the non-con concluded for KU 3-0 and to this point. Would you say your expectations are higher or lower from where you were from the beginning of the season? Oh, I mean, if, I don't know if you guys remember correctly, but I've been high on KU, as high as anybody in local media. I mean, I had them going 9-3 and and upsetting OU. Uh, now, I'm even more excited, I think, in the sense. Like, obviously, they didn't play great against Nevada, but there are games like that that happen. And, you know, the art of wing ugly is something that Kansas has had to learn under Lance Leipold. And it has really not done a great job of winning ugly till Lance arrived. It's been years since they won ugly games, right? And who knows, even if last year they would have won a game like this. This team has clearly improved in all facets. The offense is arguably as good as it was last year, if not better. Third in the country, third down conversion rate. Uh, 17th in the country in, in total yards. The defense is ranked number 21st overall. Obviously, like it's just in three weeks, but last year they were ranked 121st, something like that. Their number one can havoc rating, which like uh, factors in like interceptions, forced fumbles, tackles, etc., which is insane. And the special teams is much improved because they finally have a kicker that can kick the ball well. Seth Killer has not missed a field goal yet. He had a 44 yarder against Nevada. He's made all of his extra points. Um, like this team is better than I think they've looked against some other team. Like, they arguably should have beat Nevada by a lot more with the five fumbles that didn't go their way, which was a little bit unlucky and a little bit of, uh, I think, lackadaisicalness. But, you know, I feel really good if I was a KU fan because the conference just doesn't look super strong. You know, Oklahoma State, that some maybe thought was a 50-50 game, now looks like it could be 70-30, Kansas-Oklahoma State. Iowa State looks horrid. They've looked horrid and continue to look horrid because, you know, with all the, the stuff that happened with the gambling investigation. Um, then you have a team like Texas Tech, where they don't look as strong as everyone thought they would be. Um, K-State just lost in Missouri. How good is Missouri? We have no idea. But from what I've seen of K-State this year, they don't look as strong as they do last year. But who knows? That could change. Um, and OU and Texas are the two teams that I'm like, okay, like they look good. And Texas probably looks even better than advertised. But, you know, there could be a real thing where Kansas is in the top three at this conference and maybe even, you know, fighting for a Big 12 spot. It's what Craig Young was talking about. He was like, he gets them more excited with how open the conference is. So if, if you're looking for reasons why you're more optimistic, I, I know you dove into some of those stats on the defensive side of the ball. Would that be the number one reason that uh, the defense just has looked a lot better? I think so. I think that's, that's such a huge thing. You know, like you, Borland talked about not being the weak spot in the chain uh, by Moreland the D.C. And I think they've clearly showed that they aren't, at least right now. You know, like at least so far they've done their job. The biggest thing I, you know, worry that gets me is they have issues with QB contained. You know, like they let 63 yards on the ground against Nevada. Uh, they let 72 yards touchdown by Luke Altemeyer in Illinois. Same thing in the Missouri State. That's the only thing that's a defensive weak point, and they know it, they acknowledge it, they talk about it, so let's see if they can change it, and I don't think it really matters this week, because uh, BYU's quarterback has negative two rushing yards on the season, so he's not really a guy who touched and runs at all, but, you know, the defense taking a big step forward is big, Jalen being healthy is, is humongous, because I mean, like, even a bad Jalen Daniels game, or a mediocre Jalen Daniels game, like, 
I, you know, I remember I talked to some of his family afterwards. I was like, he really did not play great in the first half. He was holding on the ball too long. He wasn't making great throws. He wasn't doing an amazing job there. And yet, he still finished 21 of 27 for 298 yards. Like, if a bad Jalen Daniels game is, is great efficiency and 300 yards, then Kansas fans have officially got spoiled at quarterback. You know, and uh, between him and the, the two RBs and Hyshaw and, and Devin Neal, it's just a, a disgusting offense. And, and Andy Kolinke is, is so, so ingenious, and he's going to have head coach jobs lined up for him the next couple of years and, you know, as it has to pick. But, you know, it's an exciting time if you're a Kansas fan. And if they beat BYU, they're probably ranked coming into Texas. Which guys on the offensive side of the football do you watch and you go, I think that's an NFL player? Mm, okay, I think Devin Neal is definitely an NFL player. I've said Jalen Daniels is an NFL player since, like, you know, I watched tape of him. I really, really like uh, Jalen. Uh, Dominic Cooney and Mike Davidsky, uh, those two guys are big-time uh, offensive linemen that I think are playing in the NFL. Those two guys, they're amazing first round. I don't know where he'd get drafted, but, you know, maybe, like, fifth, sixth round, fourth, fifth round is another guy. Um, those guys, I mean, like, the fact that Kansas has maybe guys who are, like, four to 46 guys that could be drafted in the NFL on the offensive side of the ball alone it's just tremendously insane to me for how bad the program has been in the last, you know, 15, 20 years. Yeah, and that, that's why I asked that question. I was thinking about that today, and I was like, man, there, there's a chance to get a bunch of guys drafted from this team, which we haven't seen a ton of NFL guys from KU over the last, you know, decade plus. And that comes with the territory of being a better team and producing better players and everything. But uh, I just found it kind of very interesting on that end of the football. So BYU is the matchup this Saturday for KU. Uh, what sticks out to you about what the Cougars are bringing to town? Yeah, I mean, they have a pretty good quarterback in uh, Kendon Sloan. I mean, like, he's pretty much a pocket passer. He got six touchdowns in the year, almost threw for, I think he threw, threw for around 600 yards, around like 220, 230 per game. So he's a pretty good quarterback, six touchdowns, one interception. Uh, they don't have a good running game. Uh, they average less than 80 yards uh, on the ground per game, and it's like 2.7 yards per carry, which is pretty horrific. Um, they have a pretty good defense. Uh, they've only let I think teams score like about 15.7 points per game or something like that. So I think it's a good matchup for Kansas in the sense that it's not just going to be a tune-up. I think the line's a little big because I think it could be a little closer just because I think Kansas tends to not really blow teams out that they should necessarily blow out. You know, like even the Illinois game, it turned out to be a little bit closer than it needed to be. Uh, And same thing with Nevada. So, I, you know, I I think Kansas looks good coming in, and it's going to be a good tune-up, especially because – you know, you play well against BYU, you get the biggest matchup of the year, arguably, against Texas when we cry. Do you think there's some similarities between the style that BYU plays and the style that Illinois plays? And do you think if there are similarities there, that helps maybe KU coming into this game against uh, against the Cougars? Absolutely. I mean, like, the physicality of both the teams is, is so, so evident. I mean, and, and just having those, uh, you know, traits, are, I think it's so huge because KU dominated Illinois. You know, from the get-go, they dominated the trenches. They held their own. Jalen looked fantastic. The running backs did their thing, and their defense didn't really look, give up any big play opportunities besides that big, you know, forty-two or seventy-two-yard scramble by Luke Altemeyer. Uh, you know, so if I was a KU fan, like I'm just looking at the schedule and I'm looking at BYU, like, hey, we come out beat BYU, we're likely ranked going into Austin, and you know, anything can happen in Austin. Jalen has shown us anything can happen. You know, so maybe there's a chance that. Kansas walks out five and zero, and at that point, maybe might as well just pull up the duck boats because uh, you know that's exciting. <laughs> if you're 
<laughs> uh, when you look at going back to the the KU BYU game from from Kansas's perspective, outside of just the BYU side of things, uh, what do they need to do better? the most, I know that wasn't grammatically a great way of saying it, but uh, from the Nevada game, like what do they have to most improve on from just week to week if they want to beat BYU on Saturday? I mean, I think they just can't make these careless errors. You can't make as many penalties. You've got to take advantage of the opportunities when opponents get you turnovers. Like, there's just things that they need to clean up and I think they just played a little lackadaisical against BYU, sorry, against Nevada, my bad. And, you know, like Galen was doing a little bit of hero ball, a little bit too many home run balls. You know, like he wasn't playing his game, I think. You know, like he should be taking a couple deep shots in a half, but he shouldn't have taken as many deep shots as he did. He shouldn't hold on the ball as long as he did, you know, try to this thing. The offensive line definitely didn't have a great game, so they need to be better. Uh, you know, like there's a couple of things they need to clean up. The biggest thing is, is just you can't have six, seven, you know, penal- penalties in a game. Like that's just such a drive killer and that extends drives for the opposing team um and and when you do get like forced turnovers like when you force a, a fumble or when you get a near pick you have to convert it's just one of those things that like they just got to play a little smarter and a little cleaner especially against an older BYU team I mean I know that beat writer said they're not 22 but they're 21.7 so I'm going to say 22. Okay. All right. Uh, we're talking with Trace Lotta, Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, I don't know if at all you, you've seen some of the stuff with uh, Lance Leipold, Michigan State. Bruce Feldman posted uh, a, kind of a listing of candidates to watch out for, uh, something along those lines on The Athletic, and it had Lance Leipold in the article. Obviously, we went through this last year with the Nebraska and the Wisconsin jobs. Um, what do you kind of make of the Michigan State rumors here? Are, are you putting any concern for KU fans about him, I don't know, maybe taking that job? No, not really. I mean, my thing is, like, why would you go to a Michigan State place where, like, besides the money being a, a big motivation factor and it's the Big Ten, uh, you know, why would you go to Michigan State where there's just a lot going on over there, right? This is an ongoing legal situation that's going to probably drag for months it's going to overshadow, you know, the coaching. And, you know, like, he's built something really special in Kansas. He's shown that he's a program builder at any level. And, you know, you're finally starting to reap the rewards. You know, like this year, next year, if Jalen is around or whoever they pick up a quarterback, you know, this is the stuff where, you know, maybe Kansas doesn't win a Big 12, you know, title this year. But they come close and then they come back with most of the team next year. You can be talking about Kansas in the playoffs. Like, think about that. Because they expand – and why not? If they're taking two from the Big 12, why can't Kansas be one of them next year? You know, why would Lance leave an opportunity and program that he's grown like this for the next shiny object that I think has a lot of work to do to be better as a football team? And I think there's just too much outside noise going on. He is Trace Lotta, Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com. Thank you for the uh, time as always, Trace. Is there anything you want to plug that you have uh, either up right now or, or upcoming on the Star? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm doing something fun with a KU quarterback, a little film stuff that will have come out probably Thursday morning or Wednesday night. It should be fun. Uh, and then just traditional game coverage, uh, you know, for, for the BYU game, things to know, you know, like some other articles and stuff like that. I'll have an article, I think, later today or early tomorrow morning about the defense taking a big step forward. Um, and uh, I guess just read there, Terry Moore's case, if you haven't read it already. All right. That's Trace Lotta, Kansas City Star. Thanks again, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks, guys.
All right, we're going to take a time out. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Uh, we're going to start doing these on Tuesdays, which will be when uh, the week officially wraps up for the NFL after Monday Night Football. It'll be our NFL weekly recaps. We obviously have our Monday overreactions. This will be our uh, full recap. So we're going to have uh, some different superlatives and, and different things that we're going to give out to uh, some of the NFL teams or players or coaches or whoever you want to kind of go in on here. Uh, the first of these categories is our biggest surprise. So this could be, again, a, a player who maybe played well who you didn't think. This could be a, a coach who's doing well. It could be, I don't know, anything, really. Uh, somebody's offense, whatever. What What is the biggest surprise for you so far? Or, or, or in week two, I should say. Uh, in week two, <clears throat> honestly, okay, everyone wants to make fun of the Chargers because they just find ways to, to be bad and be Chargers. But at the end of the day, you would think that they would be able to beat the Titans, and they just couldn't. And Justin Herbert, you know, couldn't do it. And so, uh, I don't know. I mean, dude, it's it's hard to say that an organization is cursed because it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. It doesn't matter who the coach is. None of that seems to matter with the Chargers. It just always happens to them. I don't know how to explain it. I mean, how do you explain it? Uh, I don't. I don't. I mean, they're they're two. They're on two now. Is uh, is Brandon Staley the head coach for the Chargers? Is he going to be the first coach fired? Like there are worse teams no, than the Chargers, but they have very high expectations. I don't think Justin Herbert. I don't think they'll fire him. No. I mean, they were talking about firing him after last year. Well, that's just because they lost. They they blew a seven thousand point lead in the playoffs. Yeah, after the last week of the regular season, he played all his starters and got half of them hurt, and they didn't need to because the game meant nothing. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I don't. Uh, Dude, if they start he like, won't be the first. Coach well, I mean, they're playing the uh, the Vikings this week, right? So it's a battle of zero and two teams. Yes, it's basically the battle of somebody's going to be officially done, right? Yeah, uh, How often do zero and three teams make the playoffs? The only two team is the popular step, but I feel like never, never, probably never. Hmm. If you're the Jets, are you trading for Kirk Cousins? Yes or no? Um. Yeah, I think I am. Why not trade for Kirk Cousins? Yeah, I would. So uh, this was a by the uh, way trade uh, since that I heard 1979. Only six teams have made the playoff after starting zero and three. The last team to do it was the Texans in 2018. So this is a trade that I heard outlined, which was the Vikings trade Kirk Cousins to the Jets. The Jets trade their first-round pick this upcoming season, and the Vikings give Kirk Cousins and their second-round pick. Oh. So you're basically, if you're the Jets, you're giving up your first-round pick, and you're getting back the second-round pick of the Vikings plus Kirk Cousins. I would do that. Do that? Yeah. But, okay, the thing is, is this is literally a rental. Kirk Cousins is not... I'd you're franchise not, tag him and then trade him. That's what you have to do because yeah. you're assuming Aaron Rodgers is coming back. Right. Or you trade Aaron Rodgers. What if Kirk Cousins does so well that you have to trade Aaron Rodgers? That'd be crazy. I just don't think it'll work, though. I don't know. Uh, my biggest surprise is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in week two. They absolutely killed the Bears. I, yeah. I didn't think it was going to be a surprise if they beat the Bears. Baker Mayfield. They murdered them, right? Truth. Baker Mayfield is back. really good, I guess. Yeah. Is he bad? Was he ever there? <laughs> Can he be back? If you, I mean, I guess he, he was decent for a little bit there. Um, but he he had 317 passing yards, one touchdown, no picks. Mike Evans went off. Are the Bucks good? Well, 
and the short answer is no. Well, because the long answer is they play in a bad division. There's so always they're probably the going to get a lot of games. Two or three and zero, oh and then finishes like seven and nine or seven and ten. You know. Yeah. The short answer. The short answer is that they're not good. The long answer is that they play in a bad division, so they might they might end up winning the NFC South with eight or nine wins, but that doesn't mean that they're good. <laughs> yes, I would agree with that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't think they are good. I think they'll probably finish around seven or eight wins. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I, I would say, I, I just want to throw an honorable mention out there. Josh Dobbs has been an unbelievable surprise so far. He the, like he had this one. Yeah, the, the Cardinals are probably mad that he's doing so well. I know. He's been good. He's 19th in total QBR, which it doesn't sound great. It's not. But like, who would have thought Josh Dobbs would even be like average? You know what I mean? Like, he thought he was going to yeah. be like the worst. Yeah. Uh, so that'd be a big surprise from week two. What is your biggest disappointment from week two? Biggest disappointment is that Justin Fields sucks <laughs> and that the Bears suck. I mean, this was probably the I mean, I don't I know I don't think the Bears had high expectations to be like a really good team this year. But we've had this discussion a little bit, you know, with you look at a guy like Jalen Hurts, who took a took a big step forward, right? I think there was an expectation that Jalen, that uh, Justin Fields would do something similar, would take a step forward, right? Not to the point where maybe the Bears are Super Bowl contenders or playoff contenders, but would show some growth. And instead, he seems to have shown some regression, the opposite. And uh, that sucks. That sucks. And they suck. <laughs> and they're bad. Yeah, I think that is a big disappointment. Uh, is it is it possible for me to even say the Broncos after half, how last season went? Uh, you, I mean... You, I guess you could say it in a. You could say it just for this week because it is a disappointment that they lost, that they blew a yeah. twenty-one point lead and lost. But like, even after last year, it's like, oh, you have a new coach with Sean Payton. Russell Wilson was like, he hasn't been great, but he he's been fine. I mean, so far this against the Washington, three hundred eight passing yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Like that's that's solid. Yet they're still losing these games. Well, as you know, I'm the biggest Broncos hater of all time. So this is great. I this think is you could argue they've been the biggest disappointment. Yeah. This is not a disappointment for me personally. This is fantastic. And then again, like you said, they blow the lead, and on top of it, you have the Hail Mary that then you miss the two-point conversion. To me, they were the biggest disappointment in week two and probably have been so far through the first two weeks of the season. That sucks, Broncos. It would have been the Giants the Broncos, if, if that score held. But dude, yeah. they're going to go 5-12. and 12. Okay. I told you last year they were going to go 5-12. and 12. What happened? They went 5-12. and 12. Mm. They're going 5-12 and 12 this year, too. They just might. It. That might be too much, to they're be really. honest. Uh, who is your week two MVP on offense and on defense? Mm. Uh, man, let's see. I'll give you on mine. offense. You want to get you want to get yeah. yours? I'm going Bijan Robinson on offense for me. 19 carries, 124 yards. Also had four catches for 48 yards. Total it up, 23 touches, 172 yards. It blows my mind that the Falcons like won't give him the a ball in the red zone. They just like it's like ah Tyler Algier will take it from here. Uh, Bijan Robinson's unbelievable. He might already be the best running back in the NFL. He like <laughs> he just breaks all these ridiculous. I didn't see the tackles. play where he like hit the juke stick like yes. twenty times. He's so good, dude. And they they beat a pretty good Packers team. I don't know, a decent Packers team. They're two and zero. Yeah, I mean, the, season. the Packers will probably be an decent. eight or nine win team. I would yeah. Think. So Pretty he's my offensive team. MVP. My defensive MVP is Montez Sweat, who. Uh, you know, obviously Washington gave up a lot of points, thirty-three yeah. points, but it wasn't his doing. That Washington D line is actually very good. That yes. that might be one of the best D lines. Probably one of the best in the league. Yeah. Yes. He had fourteen pressures himself in one game. That's pretty good. 
I think I saw it was like the first time a player's had, or, or I'm sorry, it, it tied like a uh, record or something with Aaron Donald. So since like that's been a stat that's been <laughs> invented or something like Anytime that. Anytime you're tying something with Aaron Donald, that's good. That's very good. Yeah. So Montez Sweat, very good. All right. On offense, Washington's uh, I've got two candidates here. Okay. I want to go with either Geno Smith to win the game against uh, the Lions. Let's go to overtime. Or Josh Allen. Josh Allen had a had a big time bounce back week. I mean, yeah. he was the guy that you know you could argue was the biggest disappointment from week one, and everybody was like, Josh Allen's broken, he sucks, he can't stop turning the ball over, and he took care of business against the Raiders and blew them out like they should. So I would maybe go with him or Geno Smith coming back to to win the game against the Lions. Okay. On defense, I think it's a slam dunk. It's Chris Jones. The dude didn't play. He hasn't he hasn't been on the team, and he shows up. And he makes like three of the biggest plays of the game for the Chiefs and helps them win. Chris Jones. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Defense looked really good. Okay, uh, what about uh, your, I think they're good. So this could be a team, coach, player, whatever, that you think is good based on even just, you know, one solid week or, or the first two weeks of the season. Mm, uh, okay, going into the year, I did not think this was true, but I, I may be second-guessing myself. I think the Rams might actually be kind of good, like sort of decent, <laughs> like maybe nine or ten wins. I did not think that coming into the season. I thought they would just be bad again. Mm-hmm. But they've maybe convinced me a little bit. I know they didn't win against the Niners, but I think they might be kind of good. Yep, covered the spread. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go with Puka. With some, uh, late, late game heroics yeah. or late game villainy. Yes. So I'm going to go with Puka Nakua, who has put up unbelievable numbers for the Rams. This almost feels like an obvious one, but I feel like there's been a big pushback because there are certain people in the fantasy football community, which has a a dissonance from real-life football, uh, that have turned Puka Nakua after the first two games, 25 total catches, 266 yards, four touchdowns, into this fantasy football superstar which is leading a big pushback from a lot of people to be like, all right, guys, chill. Like, we're going too far with this. It's two weeks. He's a rookie. Let's see what what happens when Cooper Cup comes back. I think he's really good, though. I, I think this guy's a pro bowler. I think he's for real. I think teams are, are going to be mad that they didn't pick him because he was a fifth-round pick. But he was someone who was banged up all last year at BYU. Thank goodness he's no longer on BYU, so Katie doesn't have to deal with him. But he... uh he might have been a higher draft pick if he wasn't kind of banged up last season because he he's just been really good. Did you know he has more catches already this season in his rookie career than uh, Kadarius Tony has catches during his Chiefs career? Wow, isn't That's that crazy. crazy? That is insane. Yeah, Kadarius Tony has twenty catches in his uh, Chiefs career so far. Okay, uh, so yeah, Puka Nakua is my guy. He is very good, even with Cooper Cup back. Guy's gonna be a dude. Okay, what yeah. is your? Uh, I think they suck. Uh, the, you you can change this. You can change this to I know they suck. Okay. The Denver Broncos. <laughs> Those boys stink. They are going to go five and twelve, and I am going to laugh at the tears of Sean Payton and Russell Wilson all the way home to another AFC title with the Chiefs. Another okay. AFC West title with the Chiefs. I'm gonna go to the New York Giants. Giants made a playoff game. They won a playoff game last year. Uh, they're one and one on the season. They're fine, right? Yeah. Nope. Wrong. They lost forty nothing <laughs> to the Dallas Cowboys. Even though they beat the Cardinals, to be in a position where you are down twenty to nothing to a, to a team that is tanking, and you have to have this crazy comeback just to come from behind and yep. win by a field goal. And now Saquon's out. And now Saquon's out for who knows how long. I think they said like could be at least three, three weeks. weeks. Yeah. yeah. Sprained ankle. Yeah. Um. That sucks. I don't think the Giants are good. I think they suck. I think they're the worst team in their division. <laughs> I think they're going to be a top ten worst record in the NFL. How about that? Wow. I think they suck. Wow. Uh, okay, which is a 0-2 team that you uh, think 
should be worried that you think that about their 0-2 start, they should be very worried about um, that it's reflective that they're probably not a playoff team this year. I think it's the Bengals, okay. to be honest. Joe Burrow's injury is clearly still uh, impacting him significantly, and it's clear that he's not 100%. And they just look out all sorts of out of sorts, and they play in a really, really tough division. They they get smoked by the Browns every time they play him, which is hilarious. Then you got the you still got the Ravens and the Steelers to deal with as well. Those are very very physical teams that are going to beat you up. And if Joe Burrow is not healthy and his offensive line continues to stink, he's just going to take more hits and and continue to to probably deal with some health problems. So I know the Bengals started 0 two last season, but this feels different. Joe Burrow's not healthy. They seem out of sorts. They already have two divisional losses. So, I mean, you know, from that standpoint, you're already down 0-2 in the hole to start the season in the, in the division. Now you're fighting for possibly just looking at a wild card spot. The Bengals have serious problems. Yeah, no, I, I talked about that a little yesterday. I thought that was uh, very reasonable for you. Uh, the obvious one here would be the Texans. They're 0-2. They're just bad. They're going to be bad. They were bad Well, no, yeah, year. you can't pick the but Texans. But that's not – yeah, exactly. You're not going to pick the Texans. Because – there shouldn't be worry there. They everybody thought they were going to be bad anyway, so there's like no expectation. Yes, um, I'll, I think Denver obviously, but we've already hit on that a bunch. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take the New York Jets. Right, New York Jets have this good defense, but the offense has problems with Zach Wilson in there. I guess unless they're going to trade for Kirk Cousins or something. <laughs> I don't think they're going to trade for Kirk Cousins. And, and the problem is they're not just zero and two; they're zero and two in a very tough division. Yeah, Dolphins are good. Same situation. Bills are really good. Yeah, Patriots, even though they're zero and two, also like that's still I think a solid football team. And you have a bunch of other teams contending for wild cards in the AFC. You have uh, really the entire AFC North. Whoever doesn't win the division with like the Steelers, Ravens, Bengals, and, and Browns, they're going to be contending for a wild card. The Chargers could be contending for a wild card. Um, I guess you could convince yourself whoever doesn't make it, whoever doesn't win the division between the Jags and Titans is contending for the wild card. But that's a lot of teams you're in no, competition the, with. The Titans stink. Yeah. So like with the Jets, as great as the defense is, I think they're in trouble. I think it's going to be hard to overcome that 0-2 hole. Wait, did the Jets win Week One? Yeah, they did. They're Crap. not 0-2. I'm an idiot. They're I just realized they're one and one. They beat the Bills. I thought for sure they were 0-2. All right, whatever. It's the Broncos. Wow. Excuse everything wow. I just said. Well, excuse me also for not realizing that sooner either. I just realized that. <laughs> okay, uh, which is the 0-2 team to least worry about that you think is going to be fine? I think it's actually either Minnesota or the Patriots. I think New England is going to play in a lot of very very close games, and so. The reason that I'm not the reason that I say they're maybe the team to least worry about is hypothetically, if you play in a lot of close games, you are going to have a good chance to win a decent amount of those games. So that's a really tough team. I don't really know that I fully buy into Mac Jones, but I, I'm I don't know. I feel like the Patriots are going to be a team that's that's still going to be flirting with a playoff spot. I think down the down the stretch. I'm, and with the Vikings, the NFC sucks. Yeah, the NFC North is not that good. The Bears suck. The Lions are inconsistent. I think. Is is a nice way to put it, and the Packers are the jury's still out. So from that standpoint, they should be able to bounce back and be fine. Yeah, I uh, I'm gonna cheat a little bit here. Whoever wins the Chargers Vikings game this this Sunday, wow, they play wow. each other. Wow, whichever one wins, I think you're fine. Whichever one loses, you're screwed. You're not so, fine. That's the, the opposite of fine. Okay, uh, top three, bottom three. You want to start with the good or the bad? Uh, let's start with the bad. Okay, who's like, your bottom like three in the NFL? The, I like saying that teams suck. Okay. Go from 30 to 31 to 32. Okay. 30 is mm, the Giants. Well, 
Or the Colts. Might go with the Colts, actually. Okay. I might I might put the Colts in there. Okay. 30 is Colts, especially with Anthony Richardson not being fully healthy. Okay. 31 is Cardinals. 32 is Texans. Yeah. You have to have the Texans below the Colts. They just got wasted by them. Uh, my bottom three, I'm going Texans at 30. I'm going Bears at 31. Or no, I'm sorry. I did this opposite. I'm going uh, Cardinals at 30. Because I think they're a little feisty. Bears at 31, and then the Texans at 32. They got Bears. You got the Panthers also. Panthers bad. Dink. There's some stinky teams. What about your top three? My top three is number three, Cowboys. Number two, 49ers. Number one, the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm going 49ers three. I'm going Chiefs two out of respect. I think the Cowboys have been the best team in the NFL so far through two weeks. Yeah, but they've. They, I don't think they've played any good teams. I think the Jets are decent. No, you just said the Jets are the team you're no, most one and one worried now. about. That <laughs> not worried not, anymore. They're 1-1. One one. not 0-2. And, and they, uh, yeah, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, they still killed them. Even if we're playing bad teams in the no, NFL. I know. If you, you know. That's fine, yeah. No, yeah, I get it. All right, we're going to take a timeout. we got a Big 12 breakdown coming up next. Kevin Flaherty joins the show in 20 minutes. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, depending on. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Kevin Flaherty will join the show in about 15 minutes from right now. First, our Big 12 breakdown. We, uh, I think, learned uh, a good amount from the non-conference in this past weekend about, uh, you know, Big 12 teams, whether it was Oklahoma State losing or whether it was even the transitive property. Like, Illinois was only out-yarded by 30 by Penn State. So, I think that makes you feel better about KU, who out-yarded them by, like, 200. Um I think maybe as much as Texas had a big win at Alabama, maybe that win isn't as impressive now. So maybe, you know, you you feel like it's back within range of, yeah, Texas is a good team. That's just hilarious, by the way. That's like Texas goes to Alabama and wins, and it's like, dude, Texas is so back. And then it turns out Alabama just stinks. Yeah. Um, But I I don't know. Bad, bad, I would just say, overall, non-conference for the Big 12. Yeah, the Big 12 is looking pretty rough. To be honest, K uh, State loses is, to Missouri this which past is, weekend. You know, great for Kansas. I don't think I can under, underline enough. That's great for Kansas. I mean, you have two you had two road games on your schedule if you're Kansas, Oklahoma State and Iowa State. That six months ago you would have thought, eh, you probably aren't going to win either one of those games. Like mm-hmm. you know, on the road in Ames, you don't have good history there. You haven't beaten Oklahoma State since the Civil War, like but prior to last year, I should say. Uh, so uh, you know, I don't know. Like, two road games against Oklahoma State and Iowa State. Well, then Iowa State loses their starting quarterback and starting running back because they, they're gambling. And then it turns out they're just they're just bad. With Matt Campbell as the head coach, they're just bad. And Rocco stinks, even though I want Rocco to be good. You just like the name Rocco. I do like the name Rocco. I want Rocco to be good just because his name is Rocco. But, you no, know, yeah, Iowa State, suddenly that game in Ames looks extremely winnable. And then you look at Oklahoma State, and they can't, they're playing so many quarterbacks that it's like a turnstile. They don't even know what's going on. And they suck, and they just got blasted at home by South Alabama. So you've got two road games on your schedule that now all of a sudden look very, very winnable if you're Kansas. And it's not like Texas Tech has has roared out the gates as the Big 12 dark horse favorites. Oh, oh, Texas Tech's going to be a favorite. Oh, Texas Tech. No, those boys stink too. You know, Oklahoma struggles with SMU. I think Oklahoma's still pretty good. Kansas State loses at Missouri. They've got some injury questions at quarterback. They've got other questions as well with their program. Cincinnati, after we thought they might be good, loses to Miami, Ohio. 
Like this is shaping up for Kansas to have be in a good position to really, really have an opportunity to make a push. Okay, Seriously. so well, let me frame it this way then: if you were deeming who the biggest winners, who gained the most during non-con for the Big Twelve, obviously Texas would have to be number one. Probably yeah, they're, they're seen as a top five team now. I think you could argue that grouping of Kansas, BYU, and UCF are probably right there with who I think gained Kansas the most is, over the course of non-conference. Kansas is definitely the highest on that list. Because UCF, while they you know skated through, John Reese Plumley is gonna be out for a, it sounds like a you know a decent amount of time, right? So that's gonna really hurt them to start conference play. And I'm not totally sold on BYU. I guess we'll find out on Saturday when they play Kansas, but KU definitely came out probably the best. Besides Texas. I'm definitely a little weirded out that the uh, Kansas-BYU line is 9.5. Are you? Yeah. I started thinking about it. Like, you know, we just talked to Trey Lotto about, and I asked him a question about this. You know, if you look at BYU and you say, you know, that's a pretty similar team to Illinois. They play pretty physical discipline football. They've got uh, a transfer quarterback that's, you know, has some talent and has, and has played at the college level, you know, and they've got some other pieces here and there, and they play a similar style, you know. Well, what did KU do to Illinois? They beat them by 11. Mm-hmm. So if you're calling BYU and Illinois sort of similar teams, maybe that maybe that's where the line's coming from. I'm not really. I, I mean, I'm. I was. I was. Listen, I was just just as surprised as anybody. But maybe that's where it's coming from. I guess I I thought going in it was going to be close, especially like if you told me BYU lost to Arkansas, I could see it. After they beat Arkansas, I thought it would be like a three and a half, four. And obviously line. KU uh, didn't look. Super impressive against an opponent they were they were favored by twenty eight right. against. I yeah I, I found that very interesting. Also, if you look at like the ESPN SP plus like BYU, I think is ranked like forty seventh and Kansas is like fifty somethingth. So I I don't know. I, I was kind of a little weirded out by that, but maybe they know something, which would be a good thing. Um, they know KU. that the booth is the best home field advantage in the country. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, you know who's another Big Twelve team who actually has done better? I, I think they're two and one. So you know, it's not like they're they're about to be ranked or anything. West Virginia. Yeah, I actually i I think stock has r- risen up on them a little bit. They they were pretty close with Penn State. Like I, they didn't get killed by Penn State, and then uh, they beat Pitt this week. Yeah, in a rivalry. Pitt game. might just be bad. They also lost to Cincinnati. So yeah, that's that's a that. good win for West Virginia regardless. Yeah. So it's a rivalry game, and yeah, I mean, listen, if West Virginia wins five games, that's a pretty good season, probably mm. considering where their expectations were, right? <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I I think it's it's funny looking back at the preseason poll of the Big 12 and, you know, some teams that were more towards the middle of the pack of the Big 12 preseason, I think it's safe to say they're probably going to be near the bottom. Your Iowa States and your Oklahoma States of the world. I mean, is it crazy to think those two teams finish in the bottom three or four of the conference? Not at this point, no. No. UCF will probably be a little bit higher. Yeah, Cincinnati will probably lower. be a little bit higher. Houston will just still Baylor be Baylor will be lower. Cincinnati, I think, will still be low, though. But, yeah, but, I don't think I mean, they, they will pick last. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they'll be <laughs> They're not going to finish last, are they? You think? Wouldn't be shocked if they're bottom three, but yeah, I don't think they're last. I don't think they're last. Um, yeah, I don't think so either. Okay, which coaches do you think, like which schools that you look at in the Big 12 right now that you're like, they might have a new coach next year? Like TCU, no, obviously. BYU, no, not going to happen. Um, Baylor. Baylor is one, for sure. That's got to be hot seat. Is yep. Iowa State, would they dare fire Matt Campbell at the end of the season if they go like 3-9? and nine? I don't know, man. But if so, that's the biggest bag fumble of all time by Matt Campbell. It, because it think be. about it. What's his, what's been his whole MO is, oh, I'm, I'm going to keep being at Iowa State until the perfect job opens so I can take the next step. 
and then you get canned. Now what? <laughs> you suck. You wasted your opportunity. You missed your chance. That would be one. Dana Holgerson at Houston. That'd have to be one. On yeah, that's an interesting one because Neil Brown still at West Virginia. I think the Dana Holgerson at, at Houston, I think, was a very, very exciting hire for them at the time, and it just kind of has fizzled. It's been meh. Yeah. So yeah, I think those are the ones. But I don't think there's a lot of other ones. Like I, I think a lot but, of But I mean, you know, if safe. you want to go back to our discussion from earlier, look at Kansas State and Kansas. If Michigan State comes not. Yes. Or, you know, yeah, of I don't course, know. Yeah, any I mean, of these schools could lose their coach to could, another school. I more so meant from like a. No, I know. From getting canned. fired. Yeah. No, I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. But I'm just saying to kind of extend that conversation even further, you know, there are there are a couple schools that maybe their coach looks to move on. Yeah. I don't know. Who knows? What if what if UCF goes 8 and 4 this year and Gus Malzahn's like, hey, heading back to the SEC? Here we come. Yeah. You know? Could be. It could happen too. All right, we're going to take a time out here. Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports going to talk some more Big 12 football with us. Going to talk a little KU football as well with Kevin on the other side. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We're about 20 minutes till the 5 o'clock hour here. Have some uh, more KU football talk, and we'll get to some Lance Leipold audio coming up in that 5 o'clock hour. Right now, though, joined by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports to uh, talk a little Big 12 and KU football. And the non-conference slate pretty much done. You know, obviously you have some teams like TCU just played Houston. I think actually that's the only Big 12 game. So both those teams are still going to have to play a non-con game. But for the most part, the non-con wrapped up for the Big 12. Um I, I guess it's it's been a few teams that have seen their stock rise up, Kevin, but for the most part, a lot of teams have, have maybe seen their stock go down after performances. And because of that, KU takes on BYU this week. You have a couple of 3-0 teams. Is it fair to say that whoever wins this KU-BYU game should be seen as a top five team in the Big 12, if not higher? All right. I think we uh, do not have Kevin here on Rock Truck Sports oh, Talk. sorry about that. I think he was muted. Yeah, I muted myself, but I can tell you my answer was, was fantastic. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but to paraphrase what, what I was saying to apparently nobody, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I do think so. I, I think that when you look at, at that top five group, it was a group that we kind of had to, you know, a pretty solid definition of before the season started, right? Like you had, you know, Texas in there. You felt like K-State being a defending champ, bringing back a whole bunch, even though they lost, you know, some star players to be in that group. A lot of us thought Oklahoma would bounce back and, you know, win nine or so games, Texas Tech, Dark Horse. And then, you know, depending on who you were talking to, you know, fifth, either a TCU team that, you know, got a lot of sort of rave reviews in the off season for – for what they had coming up through the program or, you know, Oklahoma State with a really easy schedule. And all of a sudden, Derek, everything that we do kind of got dumped on its head a little bit. And so you have Texas, you know, that looks like the the favorite still, even though Texas was tied with Wyoming in the fourth quarter in Austin this past weekend. Oklahoma has done what you would want Oklahoma to do to overmatched opponents. You know, Texas Tech hasn't really taken the leap just yet that we thought they would. Kansas State 
there are some real flaws with that roster, and that's before all the injury information and everything started kind of spilling out this week. And so, and then you look at, at TCU, you know, falling to Colorado, struggling defensively, Oklahoma State. Maybe that schedule's not as manageable as, as people thought mm-hmm. it was because of the fact that even if the games are manageable, you still got to win them. And I'm not sure that Oklahoma State has the has the team for that. And so all of a sudden, with all of that in mind, you're looking at KU and BYU being two of the five teams in the league right now that are still undefeated. And it's a spot where not only are they both undefeated, they've both been tested by Power 5 teams and come away with a win. And if they can start that Big 12 season 1-0, I think you do look at them and say, hey, this is you know, I don't know if they're number three or if they're number five, but they're probably in that top five group as of right now. I was surprised when I was looking at BYU's numbers that they're last in the Big 12 in rushing yards per game and rushing yards per attempt yeah. because you think of them as a big physical football team. I mean, the offensive line, they've got some huge dudes on there. I think the right tackle is like 6'8", 330. The left tackle is a kid who's going to be playing in the NFL pretty soon. Uh, how do you think KU matches up with BYU, and what do they need to do well to come out on top on Saturday? Yeah, and BYU still wants to run the ball. And so that, I think, is the other interesting part of that, right? Like, a lot of times when you have a team that's last in the conference in rushing, it's because they don't care about running the ball. You know, it's because you have, like, a Texas Tech air raid or somebody like that where essentially they're throwing the ball to run the ball, if that makes any sense, you know, little flare-outs and things like that. No, BYU against Arkansas this past weekend ran the ball 31 times and threw it 26. So even with their lack of success running the ball, it's still what they want to do. I I think, you know, the offensive line hasn't quite come together, maybe the way that that they had hoped. And the running back group is kind of interesting, too, because heading in, I thought, you know, there were a couple running backs in that group that we're really going to, they're really going to kind of lean on. And one of those guys was a 240-pound transfer back and, and everything else. And instead, you look at it, and the guy who got the lion's share of the carries, 23 of those rushes, was a freshman running back, a true freshman running back. And so I think BYU searching for, for answers there. I still think this is a team that's capable of being really physical, but – for whatever reason, you know, the offensive line hasn't quite gotten there yet. And, and the running backs, you know, their best running back, or at least the person that they trust the most right now, is is a guy who was in high school last year. Is there a Big 12 team, and, and I'm not going to let you take Kansas State here, uh, because that would be the obvious one, I feel like. Uh, that would be, I don't know, the obvious one that has a non-conference loss so far that you think has the best chance to bounce back the rest of the way in Big 12 play, I guess similar to how Kansas State did last year after losing to Tulane. Ooh, that's a that's a tough one. I, I still believe in that, in that Texas Tech team. I, I think there are enough pieces there that, that make that team intriguing. There are enough weapons there. I, I think they... They have some intriguing pieces on defense. TCU would probably be in that discussion as well after losing, you know, kind of to, to Colorado the way that they lost to Colorado in a game that they very easily could have won. Uh, but, you know, you look at that Texas Tech game, Texas Tech missed a couple field goals. Otherwise, you know, they would have they would have beaten Wyoming. And the very next week, you know, they, they held a, a lead in the fourth quarter, I believe, against Oregon. 
And so that's a team that you're looking at with two losses now that, that I think you can look at and say this is a team that's probably a little bit better than what the record is, and, and they have a chance going up against Big 12 teams to to maybe right the ship a little bit. And so I, I even though they have two losses, I would probably say Tech, although I think TCU is probably the easier answer at that point. Which team have you seen your belief fall the most from where you were uh, at the beginning of the season? You know, I, I think you guys would would agree with me that I've said kind of all along that Oklahoma State worried me, but not like this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I, I think, you know, I, I felt like Oklahoma State, the second half of last year, was the worst team in the Big 12. And, you know, that sounds harsh, but they had a lot of injuries and things like that. But then they lost a ton of their best players, their leadership, a lot of different things in the transfer portal. And I think people just kind of wrote that off by saying, well, it must have been bad leadership, right? Because of the way that last year went, or, you know, those players must not have been very good because of the way the season ended. And I just felt like, especially from a talent standpoint, Oklahoma State didn't really replace the guys that they lost. It wasn't an even transaction. The scale wasn't weighted evenly. I felt like they lost a lot more than than what they brought in. And when you look at at Oklahoma State now, I, I think I thought, you know, with them bringing in Alan Bowman as a transfer, he's a guy that's been effective in the Big 12 before. He just couldn't stay healthy. I don't think that I saw, you know, saw Oklahoma State coming into where, I don't know if you guys saw Mike Gundy's comments, I think, today, where he said, you know, I'm just hoping somebody wins that quarterback job and and they're still, you know, going to rotate all these guys and you're in conference play now. You know, this isn't week one where you say, okay, somebody's, somebody's going to separate because nobody has separated. And so Oklahoma State was a team that I didn't love like a lot of people did. And I think, you know, my comments on the show, you know, prior to this week would would back that up. But I, I didn't see it going this far south to where we're sitting here talking a week after, you know, South Alabama went into Stillwater, traditionally such a tough place to – for road play for road teams to come in and win and South Alabama didn't just win but you know absolutely smash Oklahoma State in Stillwater. Yeah, well and I think what's really interesting when you go back to when Texas and Oklahoma announced they were leaving the conference. I remember and we had some on on this show uh, conversations about, you know, which Big 12 team would be most poised to become maybe the new like I don't know what Texas and Oklahoma were in, in theory being the you know top team or, or around the top year in and year out who could be that consistent you know next team in the Big 12 because there wasn't an obvious answer and there was you know certain people who thought maybe it'd be this team or that team and I think I f- almost feel like the most popular answers were Oklahoma State and, and maybe TCU um, in that Oklahoma State had been this just continuous 9-10 win program every year that's like, oh, well, with Oklahoma and Texas gone, now they're going to rule the Big 12. How much does this season and the back half of last season change that for you? And and do you have an obvious answer anymore for that question, or do you just feel like the Big 12 is just going to be the Wild West moving forward? You know, it, it does change a ton because I, I think it, it's kind of like Kansas fans, when they look at the Big 12 basketball predictions every year, and, you know, inevitably, you know, somebody votes for somebody else like Texas or whatever to win the league, 
and, and they just say, well, gosh, why are you why are you doing that? Kansas has won the league, you know, so often over the last you know fifteen to twenty years. You know, it doesn't make sense to pick against Kansas. And I think one of the reasons that a lot of us were were hesitant to down talk Oklahoma State too much was because you had a feeling of Gundy will figure it out, right? Like, you're looking at it and you say, you know, Gundy always figures it out. He always wins seven-plus games. Most of the time he wins eight-plus games. A lot of times he wins ten-plus games. And so you kind of felt like, okay, that that was a one-year dip. They're going to figure a lot of this stuff out. And so the fact that they didn't, figure that out you know there there are some interesting guys on that roster you know younger guys that i think if you're looking down the line a year or two you know maybe maybe they start to factor in a little more but when you add in the recruiting element of it i think you know tcu makes a lot of sense especially with its proximity you know located within you know the the dfw metroplex I think Texas Tech, with the way that it's recruiting under uh, Joey McGuire, they're recruiting at a higher level than what they typically do, and they're getting guys from areas within Texas that maybe they ordinarily wouldn't. When you look at a guy like Micah Hudson, who's a five-star player that's headed to Texas Tech, and so when you look at that, I think those are the, uh, the two most obvious answers. I did think it was really interesting, though, you know, on our Fog.net podcast, we had Travis Goff on there, and Goff said, you know, and he was he was very positive and sort of firm in his beliefs that why can't it be Kansas? Why can't Kansas be the school that doesn't just compete in basketball but competes in football and other sports across the board because of the resources, because of the facility changes that are coming in and sort of the direction and the coaches that they feel like they have. And, and all of a sudden – if Kansas right now is sitting here and being, you know, kind of what you had talked about, if Kansas is a top five team in the Big 12 with the way that Kansas has recruited in this class, I, I'm not saying you then pick Kansas over TCU or Texas Tech, but you at least have to consider the day offs, don't you? Yes, you do. And one thing that could possibly throw a wrench in that would be how long will Lance Leipold be around Kansas? <laughs> now, certainly uh, last year, was kind of the uh, ultimate nightmare scenario for KU fans because you would think two of his dream Big Ten jobs happened to open up in the same year with Wisconsin and uh, Nebraska. He obviously stuck around Kansas, whether that was you know all his doing, part his doing, them offering or not offering the job, whatever. Uh, now Michigan State is the newest suitor that, that could be out there going for Lance Leipold. Maybe they go for somebody else. Maybe they do make him priority number one. Obviously a Big Ten team. Obviously Kansas has recruited the Detroit and Michigan area well, whether it's players currently on the roster or Jalen Todd and Isaiah Marshall who are in the class of 2024. Uh, Jamil Croft who just joined after this past year's class. How, how much stock are you putting into the Lance Leipold Michigan State rumors and I guess how much of a step back would that leave the Kansas program if he did take that job? Well, you know, it's one of those things that it's it's the best and the worst thing in the world, right? Like the the great thing about having a, a really really pretty girlfriend is, or one of the bad things about having a really really pretty girlfriend is she's probably going to get hit on a, a fair <laughs> amount, and you know, and Lance Leipold has done a terrific job at Kansas. When you look at not just the turnaround and everything else, but you're starting to see the other things catch up, the recruiting, the buzz around the program, the facilities that are coming, all of those things, 
I think kind of are possible and stem from the fact that, you know, Kansas is a, isn't a doormat right now. And so you would expect Lance Leipold to be a major candidate, at least in Michigan State's eyes. Now, would, would he take it? I don't know. There's a lot of stability in the Big Ten, obviously, financially. And that's not that's before taking into account that Michigan State likes to throw around money. <laughs> you know, when you look at at the contract they're they're getting out of with uh, with Mel Tucker in terms of him making nine point five million dollars a year, you, you can see a lot of that. The one thing I will say is that my experiences with with Lance Leipold, and there aren't as many as as a lot of people have had. I think he's very much a where his feet are type of person, right? Like, he's not sitting in his office right now texting with Michigan State, I don't think. I think that he's the type of person he's not looking to move up necessarily. That doesn't mean he won't. I just think that he's very focused on whatever the task is in front of him. And if certain things happen with, you know, with Michigan State, if certain things happen, you know, if if Ohio State winds up not being as good this year, losing to Michigan again, and and something happens to, to Ryan Day where Ohio State then pulls Luke Fickle and all of a sudden Wisconsin's open again. This is the sort of thing that we're going to start hearing more and more the longer that Lance Leipold stays and has success at Kansas. Yeah, and I, I guess the, uh, I don't know, there is an interesting, uh, I don't know, other part of that where it's the longer he's at Kansas, the more he has success at the same point in time, the older you get too, and the less likely maybe you are to jump ship at at that point in time. I I did want to ask one KU basketball question. Uh, Kansas City Star reported uh, uh, some rape allegation stuff with Artaria Morris. He's been suspended from the basketball team. We've talked a lot about the the actual allegation stuff. I I just want to ask you an on-the-court question in that regard. If Artaria Morris is not going to be part of the KU basketball team, how much does it affect the way that you view the team's depth, how good they could be, where they would rank, all sorts of those things? Yeah, I, I'm not sure it impacts their rank necessarily, but it does impact maybe your ideal scenario. And, and what I mean by that is I think if you were drawing up sort of your dream Kansas lineup for this season, Arterio Morris would be your starting two because of the athleticism, the defense, and the fact that he can hit shots. He brings all of that when he's on you know, his game. Having said that, there are a lot of times when guys aren't on their game for one reason or another. And so there are a lot of times guys like that sound better in theory than, than that actually plays out. And I realized that a guy like El Marco Jackson, you slide him into the lineup, you know, maybe there's not enough shooting, but maybe the defense is really, really good. The speed that they're able to play with is really, really good. If it's Nick Timberlake, maybe the shooting is there, but maybe he's not as good defensively. And so I do think Kansas is equipped to, to answer that question. I don't think depth is going to be a problem. I do think that if you're drawing it up and saying, you know, you it feels like once a year, Derek, you like to ask the question if this player or that player could have, you know, sort of their A plus season, who would you pick? Mm-hmm. If Arterio Morris had his A plus season, I think that he would he would be the most natural fit in that lineup when you look at Dewan Harris and Kevin McCuller. And so losing losing him, if that's what happens here, uh, I think that does maybe hurt your ceiling in terms of him not being able to maybe be that guy. But I do think that, that Kansas has some options there. I still think there's a, a lot of depth and 
and a lot of different ways that, that Kansas can, you know, turn with its lineup too, even in terms of bumping Kevin McCuller down at times to, to playing the two to get Johnny Furphy more minutes and, and different things that, that you can try out there. All right, who is the local prospect of the week? Yeah, this one's uh, this one's kind of a fun one. Uh, for, day, for today's player, uh, we're going into 2026 class again, uh, this time with Jaden Parker, a running back and linebacker prospect out of Wichita Collegiate. He's an extremely physically developed six foot one and 215 pounds. And we actually first heard about him in a visit to Collegiate back in the spring of 2022. And Coach Black kind of told us, we have this eighth grader that you just wouldn't believe. He's just a monster in the weight room. Of course, you hear that all the time, Derek. Like, how many times do you go and they say, oh, my gosh, our sixth grade team or our eighth graders, you know, they're, they're going to be undefeated when they get up to varsity or whatever. Uh, but kind of a funny story, uh, Ryan Wallace this summer, our uh, Kansas State recruiting guy, he saw a guy he didn't recognize at K-State's camp. And just based on how built up he was and everything else, he's like, huh, I wonder who that Juco guy is over there. And it was not actually a Juco guy. It was Parker who had just finished up his freshman year of high school. And so we, uh, we went down and had a chance to see collegiate play, you know, this past Friday. Um, he's a pretty impressive power back who also has some agility. Uh, but his strength is really enticing on defense, and the and this is not this is not a mistake. The way that I put it, he sacked the quarterback with his left tackle in terms of basically, you know, picked up the left tackle and deposited him on top of the quarterback, you know, for for the sack. And so he's uh, he's a really good basketball player who actually started on their varsity in basketball. As a freshman, too, um, which is another you know testament to that athleticism, and I think that as this year goes on, more people have a chance to scout him and see him and everything. I think you're going to start to see kind of the FBS offers and probably some Power Five offers start rolling in as well. Well, Kevin, I appreciate the time as always, man. Have a great rest of your week, and uh, thank you again for coming on. Yeah, we'll have to go get some barbecue here soon, guys. Looking forward to it. I'm always game for some barbecue. Thanks again, Kevin. All right. Bye, guys. Hi, this is Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports. This is RCST. Two hours down, one to go. We got KU Football Talk next. Five o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to get to some Lance Leipold audio from his uh, press conference yesterday. Head of the BYU game in week three coming up in our next segment. Uh, reminder to go on out to Big Mill this Saturday before the KU football game. Nick's going to be out there with the KISS crew. KISS crew will be there from noon to two giving away all sorts of free goodies. Nick's going to be there doing a live pregame show from noon to one. And then the uh, Crimson and Blue show will take over after that. And also, uh, we have High School Sports Weekly coming later on this week at Mama's Tamale Shop. They have been doing some remodeling. They've actually been close for the past week or so doing some remodeling. I got a little sneak peek of it last week. Uh, it's going to be very, very nice. Very excited about that. So they're going to be doing a little bit of opening coming up later this week, and we're going to be a part of it with High School Sports Weekly. So come check us out on Thursday night from 6 to 7. Uh, you can listen in, or you can come and get yourself some Mama's Tamale Shop. They're, they've revamped their menu. They've got some new seating and patio area and stuff. So definitely highly encourage checking that out. And we'll be there live from 6 to 7 on Thursday. Mm-hmm. So looking forward to that one. Um, and we also have high school football on uh, 7 o'clock on Thursday and 7 o'clock on Friday. Lawrence High on Thursday here on KLWN. Free State on Friday at 7 on KLWN and the video stream at KLWN.com. 
We're back with another week of football, and DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping us in on the NFL action with great offers every single game day. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Throw five down on any of this week's epic matchups to walk away an instant winner. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. So uh, you can get in on the Kansas action right now. I... I don't know. We, we were talking about the line earlier. Kansas has given up nine and a half against BYU. Don't you feel like that line is going to come down as the week goes on? I don't know. Maybe. The line that so? actually, I think the over-under. It's already at nine total, now in DraftKings. The over-under total is what I'm more interested in because with the about. weather forecast, I think it was pretty high earlier in the week, like three or four points higher. So you maybe wait for the weather, buy low on the over, and then boom, profit. Okay, I like that. I will say, if you're interested on betting Kansas, I feel like the smart play is to wait till later in the week because I could see it getting down to seven and a half, eight, eight and a half, as opposed to uh, right now it obviously is uh, in at nine. The BYU team total for points is 22 and a half. The Kansas team total for points is 13 and a half. How about this one? You can bet a special on DraftKings. Largest lead of the game. Mm. The over under 17 and a half. That feels high, does it not? It does feel pretty high, yeah. I think I bet the you under. I go that. under on that, right? Under's minus think 130. It's going to be a closer game throughout. I think I don't so. know, man. I mean, if Kansas does kind of what they did to Illinois and I mean, they jump possible. out early, you know. I just don't see this as being a game that like one team's going to just like blow out the other. I think I would take that bet. Okay. Personally. Okay. You can do that at DraftKings. Uh, football is more fun when you're in on the action. Download the app now and use code KLWN. New customers can bet just $5 to get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with code KLWN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 21 and older. Physically present in Kansas. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. Okay, so going uh, back to the uh, Lance Leipold, Michigan State stuff and, and the, the talk, the rumors, whatever you want to call it here. <laughs> Obviously, the, this isn't something that you should overly worry about yet. It's no. just the job board. It's not yeah. you've heard they've had discussions or this or that. Um, but you heard you heard Kevin just talking about it in, in our previous segment, and he said that he sees Lance Leipold as being somebody who, you know, he, he is where his feet are. Yeah, and I mean, listen, his, his past history would lend credence to that. Mm-hmm. I mean— Lance Leipold came to KU as a as a program builder. That's kind of what his MO is, right? You go back to his time at Wisconsin Whitewater. You go back to going to Buffalo and what he was able to do there with with Buffalo. That's kind of what he was that's kind of what he was known for as being a, a down-to-earth program building type coach and that's exactly what he started to do at Kansas and and yeah, I mean, Lance Leipold is I think maybe a little bit older in terms of age for coaches uh, at this stage, so you know, you can look at that one of two ways. You can look at it as one, maybe he's looking to make that jump that he wants to make towards the end of his career to a, a, a bigger job. Or you can look at it as this is a guy that feels like he wants to stay rooted somewhere and truly build a legacy long term at a place like, like Kansas, where again, I mean, you're getting a statue if you if you if you keep on the trajectory that Lance Leipold's on right now. So yeah, I mean I think you could definitely look at his past and and, and say, Yeah, that makes sense. I understand where they're coming from on that, but at the end of the day, I mean, you just never know, right? Money says a lot. And, you know, if Michigan State is throwing around $10 million a year, it's hard. You'd be hard-pressed to say no to that, right? Uh, one of the points that I thought, I think Australia brought it up earlier in the show, though, was, you know, Michigan State is dealing with a lot of stuff as an institution yeah. regarding, not, you know, not just, the, not just the Mel Tucker situation, but even beyond that of kind of how they've handled some of their the issues they've dealt with. And, 
that could be a turnoff maybe for some coaches. I, I don't know. Uh, so there's there's definitely some different angles to look at. But, yeah, I think at this point you have to trust that Lance Leipold is, is going to remain at Kansas in the short term, meaning the next year at least, certainly. Uh, and then beyond that, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, if he does decide to leave Kansas and he's going to get a huge payday somewhere, I don't really know how you could blame him if you're Kansas, right? I mean, he came to KU and he's had vastly more success much more quicker than you anticipated to this point. And if if he wants to go and, and you know, secure himself financially for the rest of his life and go somewhere and, and, and make a lot of money, I don't I mean how I don't really know how you could be mad at him for that for doing something like that. No, it, it it's hard to be mad at somebody for it, but it certainly would uproot Kansas and and where they're at as they're trying to, you know, put together all this this gateway yeah. project and yeah. uh, putting this team together and finally you gather some momentum. I will say this: if Lance Leipold does leave, whether it's now or later, or retires eventually down the road at Kansas, something that you do have going your way is that to be a a sustainable football program. You have to make good hires, right? Yeah. Because if you're not the the top dogs of the world, you just inevitably are going to lose your coaches at some point. More than likely. Yes. And again, this is a different scenario. Maybe Lance Leipold coaches 10 more years with Kansas and retires and he never leaves. But even then, you're having to hire a new coach at the end when, when he retires. You have to be able to make good hires. And that was what plagued Kansas for so long is they weren't making good hires. The Turner Gill hire was not a good hire. He had, you know, one good one decent season at Buffalo where they just kind of got hot in a random Mac championship game, right? Charlie uh, Weiss, bad hire. Yeah, Charlie Weiss, bad hire. He was Les, Les the offensive coordinator of a bad a... Florida offensive team. And, you know, Les Miles was obviously so a bad hire for maybe different a guy reasons. out of retirement. Yes. Maybe he wasn't the same coach that he used to be, and then obviously other stuff. But I will say the Les Miles staff, I think, raised the talent level of what's on roster and everything. But yes, yeah. uh, there were reasons it wasn't a good hire. David Beatty was obviously not a good hire. That was a hire made because they basically hamstrung Shayon Zanger, the AD, to being like, you can only spend this much on a coach, and that's what ends up happening. You hire a receivers coach who did not have any business being a head coach. So those have been the problems. When I look at Travis Goff, I, I think he's an excellent athletic director, and you look at some of the sports he's he's made hires in so far, like baseball with Dan Fitzgerald, I think that's going to be going in the right direction. Obviously, Lance Leipold has worked out. You look at the finalists that were in the job for Kansas when they hired Lance Leipold. It was Leipold, it was Jeff Munkin, it was Mike Elko. Like Those were the big ones that you heard a lot about. I, I remember Skip Holtz was like weirdly tossed in there, but I, the more I think back to that, that's probably just was like a, a favor to an agent to be like, Hey, let's get this guy's name out there, you know, and and we'll let you do this or that. Jeff Munkin's still at Army, so it remains to be seen how he would do at a bigger school, but they just won at UTSA. They're 2-1. Like, he's had so much success at Army. Um, Mike Elko is at Duke doing amazing things, and now he's one of the biggest coaching candidates out there. It's clear to me that Travis Goff is, is probably good at hiring coaches, and that is the one thing that does give you a little peace of mind, that if Lance Leipold were to leave, which, again, I'm not trying to say that's going to happen or this or that. It's just good to be prepared that you would at least have faith in the guy hiring the coach. Yeah, I mean, I think with, with the nature of college sports, with college athletics, right, if you're not Alabama, if you're not Georgia, if you're not you know the top schools in the country – with how much money is being tossed around in college athletics right now, it's natural that if you are just you know sort of a, a program that's not at that level, and you have a quality coach, that there's a high possibility that quality coach is going to be enticed or lured, you know, somewhere 
because of money, right? I mean, that's just that's just the nature of college mm-hmm. athletics right now. So that's always got to be something that that KU may have to contend with while they're through the, going through this process. But uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, I think for for now, Lance Lightpole's not going anywhere for this season. Enjoy it while while it's here. You're looking at a team that could potentially be flirting with a top four, top five Big Twelve finish, maybe even better potentially. Uh, so that's that's very very exciting because this is not something that's happened for KU since 2007. Yep. All right, let's get to uh, more some KU football talk here. I got a new segment I want to do. It's called Heroes and Villains. We're going to okay. pick heroes and villains from the uh, latest KU game. So okay. you know the villain can be anything. It can be like this Saturday. The villain might be the weather. I don't know. <laughs> Um, let's, so let's we're start, thinking outside the box here. Yeah, let's start with uh, offense. Let's start with uh, with uh, let's do our heroes. So let's okay. we'll give an offensive hero, defensive hero, special teams hero, and then we'll just pick a overall villain. Okay, okay. On offense, I'm actually going to go somewhere you might not expect. Mm. Quentin Skinner Ooh. as the hero. He made a couple of NFL yeah, level catches late in the game against Nevada. That really helped propel Kansas down the field, especially on that last scoring drive. I think he had a couple of specific catches on the sidelines. He was a real hero. He wasn't maybe necessarily for the whole game, but listen, when the bat signal went up, who <laughs> made who answered the call? Quentin Skinner. That's a good one. Because I don't know, like Jalen Daniels was efficient, but we, we talked to Shreyas, like, I don't know, first half, maybe a little yeah. inconsistent. And obviously, you didn't I mean, see the running you know, game. Devin Neal was probably Devin Neal was, was probably the guy you would go to, I would think. Yeah, I, I kind of want to do something sexy like you did and be like, oh, I can like pick somebody unique. <laughs> I, I'm not going to. I'm just going to take Devin Neal. <laughs> Devin Neal was so good. Uh, the, the play that, that really gets me, I forget if it was second and goal or third and goal, but it was it was the last touchdown of the game for KU. So it's the one that put him up 31-24. He gets hit at the six-yard line. They had, first, they had whatever goal-to-go situation at the two. He gets hit at the six-yard line. He scores a touchdown. That play right there, I mean, if, if you get tackled there, I, I think it was second and goal. If it's now third and goal at the six, now it's a, a coin flip whether you're scoring a touchdown on that drive or night. And, and, and that, it completely changes a lot of stuff down the stretch for you there. So yep. uh, he was unbelievable. That play was great. The, the play on, on the throwback for that Andy Kolonicki drew up, that play was great. I'll give Devin Neal my uh, hero on offense. What about on defense? On defense, uh, I'm going to keep it a little more straightforward here. I'm just going to go with Kenny Logan. Made the tackle on the last play of the game, or the last play for Nevada offensively that helped that sealed the game for you. He had a great game overall, and he came through and needed him the most on the on that last play of the game as well to shut them down on a fourth on a fourth down to end it. So to me, Kenny Logan, this is a game that probably he needed, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I've I've thought about this, and Kenny Logan's his his individual confidence. I mean, obviously he hasn't shown it outwardly, but you have to wonder if maybe it took a hit a little bit over the course of the last you know, 14 months basically going back to last year with maybe did not having the season he wanted to have then dealing with an injury in the off season. Right. You know, I mean, you wonder where you wonder how, what his mental state was and to have a game like this where, you know, he kind of stepped back up and made some big tackles, made some big plays, made the, the tackle on, on the play that sealed the win for Kansas. That probably felt, that probably felt really, really good for him. So I'm, I'm looking at Kenny Logan here and I, I'm hoping that a, a game like this can propel him further back to maybe the heights that we hoped he would get to last year, that he still could reach, I think, because we saw glimpses of it the, the season before. Uh, so I'm, I'm really looking at Kenny Logan here. Yeah, and I'm looking at his uh, pro football focus page. He did not miss a tackle. He led the team in tackles. He had two and a half tackles for us. He didn't miss a tackle either. And obviously he had the, the game winner there, so that's a good one for you there. Um, you know, I, 
I will say, I thought Rich Miller played a good game, and he did. I'm looking at some of the stats on this. This this was a good game for him, but uh, I I think J.B. Brown really shined at the <laughs> linebacker position. You know, I you love just, me some J.B. Brown. love that guy. Dude, he had a 92 Jamie coverage Brown grade on Pro is, Football Focus. Like that's, J.B. Brown is your Savion Morse. You just love him. Yeah, except my guy actually gets on the field, so how about that? <laughs> okay, what what's up with this? So I, I <laughs> J.B. Brown was targeted twice, and he gave and up negative 12 passing yards. And pass coverage? <laughs> yeah, what's up with that? I'm trying to think, did they run like a? They run a screen and he just a pop pass or something at something or some point. I don't, know. I don't remember. I don't remember that either. I love that though. <laughs> That's great. But yeah, we know he's going to use him all over the field. Um, he's going to get tackles for you. He's going to make big hits. He was good in coverage. I just love me from JV Brown, man. Uh, yep. Loki Marvin Grant was really good too. Like yep. all your safeties played really good in the game. OJ Burroughs had a good game. Kenny Logan had a good game. Marvin Grant had a good game. So yeah, uh, all around for the defense. Uh, special teams. I don't know if there was enough for to a pick multiple uh, guys. Hero. To be honest. Yeah, well, I, mean, I mean, there's Seth one Keller. obvious. Yeah, I mean, we made a field goal. Right, he hasn't missed a field goal yet. Season long field goal, 44 yards. Yeah, goes what's, perfect what's on that, PATs. What's that superhero that has a bow and arrow that never misses? Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Yeah, he's, he's never missed. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's a pretty fair comparison, Not right? Wood there. Um. Yeah. I mean, who else would you even go to on special teams? Yeah, David I mean, Green was pinning the punt at the end. Yeah, that's a good one. I wonder that's who grabbed one. the punt at the end. I don't remember who I don't grabbed know either. it. Yeah. No, that's a good one though. Yeah. Damon Greaves, I think, has been I, I don't know. I mean, what were your expectations for Damon Greaves? <laughs> uh, my expectations weren't that he was gonna be like one of the best punters in the country. I'll be honest. I I mean it's such a limited sample, so I'm having Yeah, a hard I mean time. I, it's hard to say, well, he hasn't been as good as we thought he was gonna be, or he's been better than but we thought I'll he was say gonna this, be. Like, I was what hoping, did we think? I was hoping for more than thirty nine yards per punt. Then again, it's only four punts and uh, you know, one of those also, you I, had to pin okay. it deep, right? First also, timeout. Yeah. Timeout. Okay. Why is he not kicking uh, Aussie style? I don't know. I thought that was like his thing. I don't know. What's the deal with that? I wanted I wanted to see some Aussie style kicking, and I've been. It's surprised. only been four punts. I don't know. So what? I don't know. So it's what? They're telling him to kick it normal, and then he's gonna like randomly. Maybe. Maybe in specific games. Maybe they have specific matchups where they're like Aussie style punting is gonna. I just don't understand. This. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm still being TBD deprived on, of Aussie style punting. No, I, I want to see. I'm still TBD on like your punter situation. I guess is the point <laughs> there. Uh, who, okay, who's the villain? Who's the villain of the game? The villain of the game, Brendan Lewis, rushing Brendan out of Lewis, the pocket. Uh, the time zone. Time zone. The altitude. Uh, altitude. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, Travel I'm schedule. going time zone. You're going time I'm zone. Going, uh, this is this is not a villain of the game for KU as much as it's a villain of the game for me individually. <laughs> time zone. What about fumble luck? Yeah. That yeah. has to be a pretty bad villain. That's a pretty that's you know, a pretty big villain. I almost lost you the game. Yeah. What about Jacob Borchilla? He <laughs> <laughs> caused you to miss the first yeah. touchdown drive. One of the Kansas. best probably the best drive of the game for Best Katie. drive of the first half for sure. Yeah. It yes. might have been the best of the game too. Yeah. Yes. They're clean, they're crisp, score yep. touchdown. Yep. And guess what? I missed didn't get it. to see it. Jacob Borchilla. Which first of all, I have a bone to pick with CBS Sports. Because mm-hmm. I'm watching the end of the Vanderbilt UNLV game. And they're like Oh, if you want coverage of Kansas and Nevada, you can go to the CBS Sports app. I have the CBS Sports app. So I go to the CBS Sports app, and I click on the game. And what happens? It just pulls up Vanderbilt UNLV. <laughs> Who, what, did somebody not flip a switch? Did, what was the miscommunication uh, there? What's going on? What kind of sick joke is that? What kind of prank are you pulling here? Yeah, not, not cool. Uh, he goes up there for sure. But I, I think I'm going to the fumble luck. That was the villain of the game. For sure. That's a good one. That's a good one. All right. Uh, we got some Lance Leipold audio. He spoke with the media yesterday ahead of the game this weekend against BYU. We'll share that with you on the other side with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN.
depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter rcst 1320 am at gmail.com that's rcst 1320 am at gmail.com and if you want to listen live 3 to 6 p.m central time monday through friday on klwn klwn.com and the klwn app have a good rest of the day and see you next podcast